0: Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. It's really good to see you this morning, Grace Crossing. It's good to be back. Becky, why don't you stand? Uh, Many many of you have not met my wife, but 43 years of marriage and ministry now. How cool is that? And uh, we're enjoying our time being with you all, and it's a real privilege to kick off this Christmas series, His Name. I personally just love sharing the truths and realities and the simple gospel message of Christmas. And not pastoring over these last 17 years, I don't get a lot of opportunities to do this, so I'm, I'm kind of pumped today, and I hope, I hope this is a meaningful morning for you. Sunday services, by their very nature, they remind us, they, they call us back to the higher things that can be lost. In the weekly routines. You agree with me on that? And I think, in the same way, and how much more the simple transformative miracle message of Christmas can easily be lost in the day to day busyness of the season. So, right from the start, as we move into Advent season, I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you to immerse yourself in the story. Take time to read Matthew 1 and 2. Take time to read Luke 1 and 2. Take time to read John 1. Take time to look back at all the prophecies in the Old Testament concerning the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to enjoy a Christmas focused on those higher things and to not let them get lost in the shuffle and the hustle and the bustle of the traditional holiday season. So here we go. The series is entitled His Name, and today we're looking at His Name, Emmanuel. Emmanuel. We're going to read from Isaiah 9 and from Matthew 1. Let's go ahead and look at this, all right? 700 years before the birth of Christ, here's what Isaiah had to say The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. To us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Matthew tells us in chapter 1, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let's bow our hearts before the Lord. Father We thank you not only for the beauty and the purpose of this season, we thank you for the transformative power of your word. And today, God, as we immerse ourselves in the scriptures and in your truth, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be the ultimate teacher in the room. Father, I pray that that you would reach far beyond where my human words can reach and bring revelatory truth and joy to every heart, change to our lives for your great name. In Christ's name we pray, can we say amen together? Amen. amen, amen. Well, years ago, an eight-year-old boy was reminded in the weeks leading up to Christmas, you, you better be good, cause Santa's watching you, you know, or at least his elf on the shelf has his eye on you. Isn't that right? And, and, and that put him in a dilemma because he had been a brat all year long. And This little eight-year-old boy, he knew it was gonna be his worst Christmas ever, so, so what to do? No time to waste he decided to go right over Santa's head uh, and, and uh, he decided to write a letter to Jesus himself, the sovereign one, over the affairs of men and little eight-year-old boys as well. So he grabs pen and paper and he writes out, Dear Jesus, if you'll make, make it so I get lots of gifts this Christmas, I'm, I, I promise you I'll be good for a whole year. He looked at it and he thought, not a chance. He wanted it up, threw it in the trash. Letter number two, Dear Jesus, If you make sure I get lots of presents this Christmas, I'll be good for a whole month. Can't do it. Boom, in the trash. Letter number three. A whole week, Jesus. I can't even do that, he thought to himself. Wadded up, threw in the trash, and just frustrated. He knew it was hopeless. So he began to scheme, and suddenly... He jumped up out of his room. He ran into the living room over to where the manger scene had already been set up. He grabbed the little porcelain figurine of Mary. He ran back into his room. He opened his sock drawer. He stuck Mary inside a sock, inside the drawer, closed the door, sat down. Letter number four, Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again. <laughs> now it was really hopeless, all right? That first Christmas... The world that Jesus was born into was simply a world without hope. Isaiah described it with phrases like those walking in darkness, those living in the shadow of death, people bound in chains with heavy yokes on their shoulders. C.S. Lewis in *The Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe simply described it this way. In the world, it was always winter, but never Christmas. How harsh is that? Always winter but never Christmas. The Bible characters, the major players of that first Christmas, walked in darkness in their own unique ways. The shepherds walked in the darkness, in the hopelessness of mundane routine. And in their minds, this was their lot in life. It was always going to be this way. Nothing is ever going to change for me. The wise men walked in the darkness, in the hopelessness of intellectual pursuit. Herod himself walked in the darkness of political and personal agendas, and the Jewish leaders walked in the darkness and hopelessness of empty religious ritual and routine, devoid of life of faith. The Romans had their own unique way of describing the hopelessness that was in the world. They had adopted a Greek myth or belief, the story of Pandora in her box. Do you remember the story of Pandora? They adopted this to explain the hopelessness that gripped their culture in those days, if you remember the story, a woman was given a beautiful box by the gods with these explicit instructions, you were to never open this box. But over time, curiosity got the best of her, and she opened it just a crack, and then quickly closed it. But in that moment that it was opened just a crack, according to their belief, everything evil that this world knows escaped out of that box, War, pestilence, famine, calamity, pain, it all got out. She closed it as quick as she could, but the only thing left inside that box, trapped inside that box, was one thing, and that thing was hope. And that's how the Romans and Greeks explained the hopelessness in their culture at that time. It was a hopeless world, folks, until Jesus, hallelujah. It was a hopeless world until Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. When, when Emmanuel arrived, hope arrived. And to this day, whenever Jesus walks into a room, hope walks into the room. Whenever Jesus walks into a situation, hope walks into a situation. As Emmanuel, Jesus entered our world personally and with purpose. And right at the outset here, I want to challenge you at the beginning of this Christmas season to say, God, this Christmas, help me to walk into my world personally and with purpose to see you work in other people's lives. Jesus walked into this world as Emmanuel, personally and with purpose. And it reminds me of my, my favorite line in A Christmas Carol, and I've got lots of them, but this is my favorite from O Holy Night. Long lay the world in sin and error pying until he appeared. That's that's Emmanuel, isn't that right? Until he appeared, and the soul felt its worth. That's hope. When he appeared, the soul felt his its worth. And the Carol would go on to say, the thrill of hope, the weary soul rejoices. That's Emmanuel, God with us, and Saint Augustine. The great church father tried to put into words the enormity of, of, of the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us. And he penned these words, all right? Maker of the Son, He is now under the sun. Disposer of all ages in the bosom of His Father, He consecrates this day in the womb of His Mother. In Him He remains, but from her He goes forth. Creator of heaven and earth, he was born on earth under heaven. Unspeakably wise, he is now wisely speechless. Filling the world, he lies in a manger. Rule of the stars, he now nurses at his mother's bosom. He is both great in the nature of God and small in the form of a servant. That's Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah simply said, the people who walk in darkness, they've seen a great light. It was 16 years ago this December that my wife and I found ourselves on a hike in the Daintree Rainforest in the Queensland North of Australia. Our son who um, graduated from college in Australia had gotten married that previous week on, on a beach outside of Sydney. And when they went on their honeymoon, we thought, Why not? Let's just go take a second honeymoon ourselves. We ended up where the Great Barrier Reef meets the Daintree Rainforest up near Cape Tribulation. And we found ourselves on a a hike with an aboriginal elder, this elderly, precious man in the Daintree Rainforest. As we walked, he explained things to us like plants they use for medicines and and cave etchings and, and all things about their culture. And as we walked, I simply said to this guy, I said, you know what? Your English is really good. He said, yeah, he said, as a little boy, I learned it from the missionaries. I said, you did? I said, what was that like? And went on to talk to them about how faith came to his family and faith came to his village through the missionaries. And I said, wow, I said, so you're really looking forward to Christmas this year too, aren't you? And he said, yeah, I'm really looking forward to Christmas. He said, "But but, but in our culture, he said, we don't call it Christmas. He said, we call it the coming of the light. How good is that? We call it the coming of light because once we walked in darkness, but because of the gospel, we now know this great light of Emmanuel, God with us. Those who walk in darkness have seen a great light, Isaiah said. And Isaiah would go on to say that his coming would, would remind the Jewish people of Midian's defeat. I don't know about you, but I, I've read this passage for years and years and I've never paid attention to Midian's defeat in this Christmas prophecy. I've skipped over and over and over, but you know what? The original hearers who heard it when, when Isaiah first spoke it or penned it all the way down to the Roman times, when the Jewish people thought of Midian's defeat, it brought them instant hope and joy. It's mentioned in Isaiah chapter nine. Why is the story of Midian in a Christmas prophecy. Well, just to give us a little refresher, at this time, Israel's a mess. They're under the thumb of Syria. There's no way at this moment that Israel can save themselves and the situation is hopeless. And in Judges 6 and 7, God calls a man named Gideon who's scared to death himself. And he becomes an unlikely vessel to lead an army that God whittles down to 300 men against a vast army. And God instructs Gideon to surround the enemy camp at night. And for every one of his 300 men, they need to have a clay pot with a torch inside and with trumpets. And if you remember the story at Gideon's command, everybody smashes the clay pots. The lights, uh, the torches light up the night all around the enemy camp. They blow their trumpets and there's great confusion among the enemy. And the enemy is totally routed and there is complete victory for the Jewish people. An unlikely instrument, Gideon, with an unconventional strategy, clay pots and torches, results in an incomparable victory. And Isaiah prophesied, that's how it would be when Messiah comes. That's how it would be when Emmanuel shows up. A shocking strategy to break the yoke and to set us free and to restore our joy. Wilder than clay pots and torches, we get a virgin singing all by over a manger. The God of the universe becomes a simple vessel of clay. But on the inside, as John would say in John chapter one, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. The vessel is broken, the light comes forth. A great victory and salvation for you and I. And at the end of the service, we will be celebrating that salvation with Holy Communion, hallelujah. Beyond the babe in a manger, the irony of the scriptures giving us the Christmas story continues. Those shepherds sitting in darkness on a hillside that night, they get a visit. It's not just any visit. Oh, it's, it's, it's a few thousand angels show up simultaneously, and their world is flooded with light. This angelic host, this angelic army, turns their darkness to light and their hopelessness to hope with the announcement of Emmanuel, God with us. And oh, the irony, they are... Commissioned these shepherds, think about this, they're commissioned to be the first ones to spread the good news of the birth of the Savior. The shepherds of that day, they were the the original night shift crew. (laughs) They were the lonely unnoticed. In culture and society, they were the lowest of the low. They were considered so marginalized and dirty, they were not even allowed in the temple For ceremonial law and celebrations. Think about that. They were such social outcasts considered so unreliable that these shepherds were not even allowed to testify in a court of law because who could believe anything that shepherds would say? How ironic. Hey, shepherds, you're the ones, go tell the world that Emmanuel, God is with us. How cool is that? that God would handpick these shepherds with the honor of being the first announcers of the birth of Christ. Again, we see unlikely instruments and an unconventional strategy, just vessels of clay with a light burning inside, and the shepherds went everywhere to family, friends, strangers, to share the good news. I like to think of, the shepherds that night spreading the good news of the birth of Emmanuel as the first divine appointment. Have you ever heard the phrase divine appointments before? Huh? A divine appointment, I simply define it this way. A divine appointment is a God arranged good news connection. It happens because the God of the universe says, I wanna match this one who is, believes in me with this one who does not believe in me yet, and I'm gonna create a connection so that the good news can be shared. A God-arranged good news connection. And I'm sure those shepherds felt unworthy and unprepared, yet the simple command was go and tell. So they went everywhere. Neighbors, friends, strangers, they went like Jesus coming into the world as Emmanuel. They went personally and with purpose to tell the world that God was among us. It was um, 10 years ago this December, a personal divine appointment. My life intersected profoundly with a young lady that to be honest with you, I would never meet. It began with a divine appointment months earlier on a boat in the middle of the Amazon River. I've been working with some of our young missionaries in Leticia in the southernmost city of Colombia on the Amazon. And I was setting up an outreach for high school kids that summer in Iquitos, Peru, 13 hours away on the Amazon. So my partner Helman and I hopped in a boat. We were on a 13 hour boat ride. It was pretty cool. All right. And, uh, we ended up in, in Iquitos and we set up all the ministry. We worked with the local partners and, um, And uh, and then it was time to go back. So that next morning we went down to get on the boat and they said, sorry, the boat's not running today. I said, what do you mean the boat's not running? It doesn't make any sense. We got tickets, it's time. No, the boat's not running today. Anybody hate get delayed like I do? I mean, I was just, I gotta get back. I gotta wrap things up in Leticia. I gotta get on a plane. I don't have time for this. We had to wait till the next morning. We got on the boat the next morning, this little boat, uh, about, about as wide as a, as a small airplane, two little seats on each side, a little aisle way in the middle, and you'd walk down in the boat, it held about 30 people, and along the river, it would make stops, and people would get on, and people would get off, and we made our way, the 13-hour journey back to Letitia, And one stop, I, as, as I saw somebody coming down in, I didn't see their face yet, but I heard them say something above deck, and they spoke in English. And um, in walked an older Western man, older than myself, and he sat down in the seat right in front of me. And um, I said um, to this guy, I simply said, where are you from? Five hours later, the conversation was still going. His name was Eric. I simply call him today the most interesting man in the world, for me. He had received his doctorate from the University of Washington in psychology, and um, as he described his life, he said that there in the late 60s, he said he did everything he could to try all the drugs he could try. And he spent his life doing drugs and running from Jesus freaks on campus. He wanted nothing to do with religion and faith. And um, I said, well, what, you been, what are you doing in Latin America? He says, so well, the last 30 years I've been working on major political campaigns all across Latin America. I thought, that sounds pretty shady to me. He, he, he described a messy life, a very interesting life, again, antagonistic toward all things faith. I asked him, so what brought you to Iquitos? And he says, well, he says, I've been with a group of people out in the jungle with a, with a Peruvian shaman, holy man, and we've been lying on mats at night, staring at the stars, dropping this unique Peruvian drug called ayahuasca. The ayahuasco is a hallucinogen which when you're on it, it tells the witch doctor what areas of pain we have in, bo- in in our lives and he prescribes other medicine for us. I thought this guy is on some kind of spiritual search but one that I've never been on before. And then he asked me, so what do you do? <laughs> uh, conversation over, isn't that right? And, and, and when I told him what I was doing in Peru, yep. Yeah conversation was over. He turned around in his seat and faced back forward and and something was stirring inside me. It's like, God, how do I keep this conversation going? I think there's something here. And I felt the Holy Spirit just say to me, ask him about his family. And I leaned forward. and I said, Eric, you got a family? He turned back around in his seat and he said, "Uh, yeah, but six months ago, my, my wife left me. My son right now is in a Costa Rican jail and my daughter, 28 years old, her name's Ava. And at age 18, she was Miss Venezuela. She was second runner up in the Miss Universe pageant that year. She's been a network anchor woman in the capital Caracas for several years. She's now the mother of a two year old girl. But she's in a hospital with a life threatening illness. Eric's life was totally falling apart. I was so drawn to him. His life was so messy, but underneath it all, I could see the image of God. And as we continued to talk, I found out that his grandparents were pioneer missionaries to China and Tibet in the 20s and 30s. His dad followed in his mom and dad's footsteps to become a missionary as well. But his first wife tragically died on a mission field. He got bitter at God and left the mission field and became a, a uh, captain in the U.S. Army as a linguistics specialist during World War II. And during that time, he met a beautiful young Jewish atheist woman working uh, in the office with him. And they met and were married. And Eric was the product of a backslidden backslidden missionary kid and a Jewish atheist mom. And that, that explained a whole lot. as we continue to talk critical of all things, religion, all I can say is folks that God broke through on that boat. And before we docked, my friend and I were laying hands on Eric in the seat in front of us and praying for him to receive Christ. It was a breakthrough, divine appointment. When we got back Eric said, boy, that was a providential moment. I said, you better believe it, buddy. But I like to think of it as a vine appointment. It was a God-arranged good news connection. And as fate would have it, the next day we ran into each other at the airport, and we decided to exchange emails, and we stayed in contact over the next several months. I believe on that boat, Eric felt the reality of Emmanuel, God with us. And expecting to be rejected, he found acceptance. And he said to me, thanks, Randy, for not ramming religion down my throat. He felt safe. He reconsidered God and his word, God and his message. And he became a brother in Christ. On October 12th, he flew to Houston because his daughter Ava was in Houston for experimental treatments and in the ICU. And we stayed in touch over the months. And that December, 10 years ago, this month, I got a call from Eric. He was so excited that it looked like Ava was going to be released to be able to go home and be with her family for the Christmas season. But four days before Christmas, a strange and sudden infection set in and Ava was gone just like that. To this day, I have these feelings like, God, should I have flown down there? Is there more that I could have done? As as Providence would have it, one of Eric's old drug buddies had gotten saved years previous and had become a pastor, was on staff at a church in Houston (laughs) and they reconnected. And that church was visiting Ava on a regular basis and I thought, God, should I have done more? What could I have done? And, and then the next day I got a call from, from Eric and he said, Randy, I want you to know, I, I just had a conversation with, um, with Ava's mom, my estranged wife, who wants nothing to do with God at all. But she said, Eric, you need to know this. The day before Ava passed, she said, Mom, I need to tell you something. She said, Mom, last night, Jesus came to me in a dream. And Mom, I'm not afraid anymore. And Mom, I regret living all these years as an agnostic, turning my back on God. And Mom, could you arrange for me to be baptized? And I thought, would God delay my boat a day? because he was arranging a divine appointment for a broken man made in his image who had a daughter that in months would be slipping into eternity that he loved so very much. In that moment, I realized for God so loved Ava that he would arrange and rearrange everything I just got to be the vessel of clay with a little light inside. Eric became the unlikely instrument that would take that light to his daughter in an ICU unit and Jesus would win a complete victory with her salvation. I imagined what that Christmas morning in the presence of Jesus was like for Ava. Friends, um, we live in a world without hope and we live among people without hope. And yet for you and I, Emmanuel, God with us is now Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And here we are at the beginning of Advent season, 28 days until Christmas. And just maybe... God has a divine appointment for you this Christmas season. Just maybe God is arranging a good news connection for someone in your world, someone in your sphere of influence that is stuck in darkness, not knowing what to do next. The spirit of hope dwells inside of you and I in these vessels of of clay. And just maybe as we walk into hopeless lives this year, the Christ in us can become Emmanuel, God with them in a brand new way. And just maybe for someone in your world, this year when you walk into the room, hope walks into the room. Because Emmanuel has taken up residence inside of you. As Gypsy Smith The evangelist once said, there are actually five gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. Most people will never read the first four. There are actually five gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. Most people will never read the first four. Eric wasn't reading the first four. Ava wasn't reading the first four. But you and I, all of us, like those first commissioned shepherds, Maybe feeling a little bit unworthy and unprepared, you and I—I I think this Christmas season, this Christmas season, need to simply say, "God, give me the grace to enter my world personally and with purpose, just like Emmanuel first entered the world that first Christmas, personally and with purpose." And God, if it's in your economy to arrange a divine appointment, let the light inside this vessel of clay, shine and bring the hope of the gospel to somebody this year. I'm simply asking you to rethink Christmas, not just in terms of family and friends, but in terms of being those vessels with the light on the inside. To rethink Christmas and say, God, as I go through the Christmas season, is there someone walking in darkness right now that you can use the light inside of me through this vessel of clay to bring that gospel connection to them? As we prepare to come to the table of the Lord and as we get ready to celebrate the gift of salvation, let me first ask you, Who in your world needs the good news this Christmas? Who in your world is stuck in the darkness, in the mundane routine, in the hopelessness? Who in your world needs you to be the light that walks into their world? I dare say for some people that you'll interact with this Christmas season, When you walk in the room, hope can walk in the room. Because Christ is in you, the hope of glory. If you've been touched by Emmanuel, you have a story to tell. Say that one more time. If you've been touched by Emmanuel, God with us, you have a story to tell. Let's bow our hearts before the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, as we embark on this Advent season 2021, we still live in a world that can be described as those walking in darkness. We're surrounded by people that need to see that great light. Some of them, Lord, have never looked your way. Some of them have walked away from you. But Lord, I pray that you would use all of us, use all the vessels of clay in this room and give us the privilege of being your light in a dark world. Friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, strangers. Just like those first shepherds, God, me, we know the joy of being those unlikely vessels with a light on the inside. Lord, and I want to just, I want you to take a minute with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Lord, I want to pray right now for, and I want you to begin today praying for people in your world, in your sphere of influence that don't know Jesus, that are not connected with Emmanuel, God with us yet. So right where you are, just begin to mention them by name to the Lord. Lord, we pray that, This is your year for them. We pray that light would break through the darkness. We pray that salvation would come. We pray that you would touch their lives deeply and draw them to yourself. Just pray for them by name right now. Now, Lord, we give this Advent season 2021 to you. Help us, God, to not miss it. Help us, God, to enter it as Jesus entered the world, personally and full of purpose. And Lord, when 2022 comes as grace crossing, may we be found rejoicing at the divine appointments that you re- arranged for us, individually and as a church for people that yet walk in darkness that need to experience Emmanuel, God with us for the very first time. We ask these things in the all-powerful name of Jesus. Amen.